What's going on, y'all? Welcome back to another episode of The Winner's Culture, where we like to highlight the journey to success, not the glory that you often see. I got my co-host with me, as always, to my right. Hey, y'all, it's Blondie. And then, also to my right. It's just JJ. <laughs> um, today, man, I know I always say we got a special episode, but again, um, y'all in for a good one today. I have authors, I have fathers, I have leaders with us today. We got Brenton Akeef of Fathers Read with us today. How y'all feeling? Oh, bless, bless. Oh, well. Heard that, heard that. Happy to be here. What's y'all morning like? Uh, Woke up, so that was the best part. And, uh, you know, a little little tired this morning. Hung out last night. That ain't often for me, but... uh, Tell them where you was at. Oh, man, we was at the Free Wheezy. (laughs) Freezer. (laughs) State Property Reunion. You know, it was a nice day that came out. It it was a nice time at the Fillmore last night. Yeah, Yeah, 20 years. Um, which is a blessing because, you know, like that, I remember where I was 20 years ago. And now, you know, my, leaving my daughter, like, you going to the old people reunion? Like, Wait a minute. The old people reunion. Yeah, going to crazy. the cool people reunion. <laughs> <laughs> so, had a great night, hard morning. Uh, <laughs> but we had definitely had to come through and, you know, uh, be within the winning culture. Winning culture. We appreciate you for coming to for real. Today. Definitely. How y'all feeling today? Y'all good? I'm cool. Y'all good? I'm, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. What about you? How was your morning? Uh, morning was great. Again, like like Brent said, you know, just happy to be here, happy to uh, get up. My morning was kind of by myself because my wife and my children were still asleep at the time I was leaving. So, hey, it was all good. We ain't going to waste no time. We're going to jump right into it. Let's go. First thing we wanted to ask y'all, for the people that don't know, could you just educate them a little bit about who you are, uh, where you from, and what you guys do? Yeah, so uh, Brent Johnstone again, um, also known as a guy, uh, also known as Mr. B. Uh, Mr. B is who I'm known as in these early literacy streets with the kids. Mm-hmm. Um, but Brent Johnstone, uh, born and raised in Philadelphia, a proud father, a proud husband, um, one of 10 children um, who was brought up in a family who really already gave to the community. Um, so it's kind of something I've learned by uh, nature, you know what I'm saying, growing up under my my, my, my mom and my dad. And uh, just, just someone who always cared about really my city, Philadelphia, proud Philadelphian, um, played football in high school, did really well there, got a scholarship to Temple, went to Temple, um, from there, got into the real world, and the real world was working in these streets and these communities and really working with kids and uh, families in high-poverty areas. And doing that work so young in my life and really connecting my heart to it changed my life. And it kind of built, not kind of, it built who I, who I am today as a person and connecting with our Keith and building Father's Read. That was a phenomenal answer. <laughs> it was also the first time we asked that question and somebody didn't give us titles. Oh. Like, you know what I'm saying? Most yeah. people would just tell you their titles, but you didn't right. give me any of that. You gave me the whole whole backstory. Akeef, could you let the people know a little bit about yourself? Yes, Akeef Staples. Um, I was born and raised in Media, Pennsylvania. So I guess you call that the the suburbs. <laughs> I attended, I, I had a full scholarship to Temple University to play football, which is where I met Brent. Wow. Brent was actually one of the first people I met. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say when we break camp, because in football, you know, you got camp, you, know, you break. 
and Brent and another gentleman, you know, kind of took me under their wing uh, very early on. So, uh, you know, from college, had a chance to play professionally for a year um, and only did it for a year. Uh, you know, I found out I was good at football, but I wasn't passionate about it. And I didn't want to force anything that wasn't happening na- happening naturally because I saw a lot of guys before me for years on end trying to get <laughs> into that professional world. And I was like, you know what? I got to move on. Wasn't sure what my next steps were, but a gentleman who I, my neighbor back in my hometown, actually, in, I would say, introduced me to this work because that was my first job outside of college and it was at a juvenile detention center so right then and there is when I really got to start working with the uh you know our our youth our at-risk youth uh and wanting to make a difference in their lives so do you feel like that's what kind of sparked the whole idea for fathers read like how did that come about like with the two of you like how'd you form your team and get things started um, it really, it, it didn't happen fast. It kind of happened over time. When I, Keith and I first, we, we kept, we, we had our network. Our network was like our football team. Yo, we they got jobs here, they hiring there. So we were running to each other at a lot of uh, social service agencies, uh, working with a lot of mental health kids, working with a lot of kids that's in the juvenile det- uh, court system. And um, through f- football, we created a pro. We were going to try to create a football around football mentoring and tutoring and all this, and it just never came together. And unbeknownst to each other, we went our separate ways, and we both started father initiatives. He started Father's Lead. I started Father's Day through sixty five, and for about two, three years, possibly, kind of lost contact. You know how when you get older, you don't necessarily stay in contact like that. And uh, someone that was working with him. And was seeing me on social media say, hey, y'all need to talk. Y'all kind of doing the same thing. Y'all should hook up. And that led to conversations. And it's kind of like, it's hard to find a person that has the same passion and who can dream like you can. Right? And that's what really connected us. And we found Fathers Read from just getting together saying, you know, how you doing something with fathers? I'm doing something with fathers. How can we both help fathers? And it really started as helping fathers coming home from prison. And uh, in one of those long conversations we would have, it's like, yo, why we, let's stop working on the back end of this. Let's jump in front of it. And that kind of birthed Fathers Read through 65. Wow. Wow. That's beautiful. So I, I have a question. So as a, as, a, as a former athlete, and we had a couple other former athletes, especially that played on a high level, and, and Division One football is certainly a high level at, at, at Temple. And my, um, knees, my knees will tell you that. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> right, for sure. My knees say the same thing. Yeah, wait till you get older. Um, <laughs> um, I wanted to know, like, how, how did y'all find y'all purpose, you know, coming right out of school or from Temple? Because a lot of athletes struggle – Finding finding purpose or meaning outside of their sport. You know what I'm saying? You know, going into school for myself, and, you know, like I said, growing up in the suburbs, went to a really good public school. As far as education, it was one of the tops in the nation. Going into Temple, I was like, you know, I want to become a sports agent. So I got into the what's called the sport and rec management uh, <clears throat> what do they call it, tracks. 
I felt as though I, I didn't, I wasn't liking the leadership in that department. I was like, I don't know if I want to be this. Uh, so then I just found myself bouncing between different majors. I bounced, bounced between about five different majors and landed on geography and urban studies because it was something that I was comfortable with. I, I like the anthropology side, just looking at people and cultures and understanding that. And also like science, um, you know, things, things to do with science. And, uh, you know, even with that degree, I wasn't sure – once I got it, once I got a degree from Temple, I was like, oh, you know, I'm going to go anywhere and get a job with this. But that wasn't the case. And, and I found myself searching and I was just looking for different kinds of jobs to get into. And this is even after my uh, juvenile detention center, becoming a detention officer, uh, because I always felt like I could provide more, uh, give the world more. Um, but I just found myself trying to search and, and hopefully discover something that I could land on. And, and through time, uh, through many different jobs and positions, um, and then getting married to a, a, you know, my wife is an entrepreneur. She's been a business owner for almost 20 years now. You know, I got to see that world as well. And then I saw myself as always wanting to really create something uh, and be a part of something that I didn't have to show up and clock in. Yeah, and I would say um, it was a blessing. I fell out of college, uh, have dyslexia, found that out in college. Um, struggled a lot in college. And um, once I got back in, uh, I had a decision to make. I had to pick a, 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 a major. <laughs> and, you know, only thing, I hated school. And the only thing I thought I could do at school well, I knew I could do would work with people, and that was social work. I got into social work, and that changed my life. One, they showed me I was only two years away from graduating, and then it allowed me to work with people. And I started working immediately in the neighborhood in North Philly, and I connected with people, and I became good at something outside of football. And it was helping people. Now, I didn't know they wasn't paying no money in social work. <laughs> but it touched my soul and I literally walked away from having opportunities to work out for agents. And my brother played was playing in the NFL at the time. Um, so I had some opportunities. But I remember literally saying uh, in front of the, which is the Leah Court Center now, uh, Dr. Michael Jackson walked up to me and said, hey, I got some agents who want you to go some places to work out. Um, you know, NFL trials coming up. He said, what do you want to do? I said, man, I don't need football no more. I'm good. And that was it. I walked away from football. So a lot of people chase that dream. A lot of people get cut from the team. A lot of people keep pursuing a dream until they're told no. I had the opportunity to tell football no. And it was because I connected with helping people. That's beautiful. Yeah, I think it's interesting to hear that, like, the parallel even in both of the stories was you kind of, both of you made the choice, in a sense, to be able to walk away. I think um, – JJ, you could probably speak to this, um, that it's oftentimes difficult because people can't find something else that they're passionate about or to mm. put um, passion into. And I think being able to spot that, that you guys both found a passion in helping others right. is also yes. kind of not just inspiring, but also like I find it to be interesting because most people don't view something like that to be something that I could be passionate about. And right. I try to tell people the blessing is in blessing. 
and your life changes when you put others as the forefront of what you want to do. I want to help others become better, whatever that better is, and however you help them to become that. When you start to live in that work, your life changes, your opportunities change, how you feel about waking up changes. You know what I mean? I agree with that. No, that's that's definitely special because I don't know if you realize, but you're giving the kids an opportunity to find out early on that they're good at something else. Right. And I think for a lot of us, it was the, it was the same with me. I didn't I didn't stop playing football until my junior year. I had an injury, and I had a decision to make. You know, coach coming to me talking about I need you to play, and I got a torn hamstring. Right. Right. So what's what's your options? Not not many. Yeah. Take them pills <laughs> or take them right. shots. Or, right. I just you know had that conversation yesterday. It's funny you brought that up, taking um, the pills and stuff. But. Yeah, like you got to you gotta make a decision. It's like do I discard my body for real or mm-hmm. do, I just, do I go against myself to play this game? But it's all I know. And so many people make that choice. It's a, it's a, it's an easy choice to make for them because you will never feel like you, you have something else that you're good at. Right. And so it took – all that time for me to to have to find something that I was good at. You know right. what I'm saying? And what I think is dope about now is, so I'll be 47 in October. Um, in my 20s, there wasn't this type of outlet, right? It wasn't as much, I think, social media didn't start really popping until I was in my 30s. You know what I'm saying? Um, now, you have so many other outlets to find yourself, to see what's going on, to be able to set up some cameras, get some mics rolling, and jump into those other things. Older, I don't say older guys, but people my age and older, it was a, like a limited, as far as touching the world and being able to go peer to peer to peer. Peer to peer has created such a change in the world, right? Before, if you had a fish fry, people at your job knew, people around the corner knew, that was it, right? <laughs> now you have a fish fry, you in house, Instagram, the whole damn city could come in your right. fish fry, you know. <laughs> Anybody could come in your fish fry. So, to be able to go pair to pair has opened the world up so much more. And I really wish people our generation and Lord realize how much they can, we can still take advantage of this. Like, me and I, Keith, we right on that age where, you know, we were, you know, a lot of us, I don't know that Instagram stuff. Oh, I don't know that computer. You know what I mean? And yeah. it's like, yo, you can change the world through this if you tap in a little bit and be willing to learn from younger people. You know what I'm saying? And, I think that's one of the bigger things I see in our culture is that uh, generational gap. Mm-hmm. And if we could learn to, uh, uh, Q-Tip said progressions can't be made if we're separate forever. Mm-hmm. If we could understand how to coexist more, you know what I'm saying, um, especially in that generational gap, we could do some amazing things. I completely agree. Yeah, I was about to say again, like, y'all, once again, y'all being in the school, y'all being able to, to be accessible to the kids, especially the ones that felt like, you know, there's no other path for me except the, the streets or the sports mm-hmm. or, or rapping. But then it's two black men right here in front of me that found a different way, that found a different outlet and gave themselves an option to turn down one of the more popular outlets. <laughs> right, to say, right, you know what right, I'm saying? Right, I could right, be right. cool. Um, if I if I do what they do, if 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 I learn how to how to start a nonprofit, if I speak in front of kids, like like those guys came and spoke to me, so I, I feel like that's really powerful. I think more importantly, just y'all are showing young black children to follow their passion, you know, because mm-hmm. even outside of the typical the sports, the music, the you know, anything like that, there's also a pipeline from just school to work. Mm-hmm. To the grave, you know, right. like you oh just, my god, you go yeah. in and you follow yeah. the train, you work a right. job that you hate, you go around people yep. you hate, and, and that affects your spirit, your energy, your everything. So, it also teaches people like there is time and opportunity to find a passion, 
Okay. And to know that everyone possesses the qualities to have a passion in this world and make a difference. Like, you know, right. I feel like, feel like that's very important for children. Like you know. Everything that we use, everything we use in this world was created by somebody. And I was trying to tell my kids that, like, you come from greatness, right? You can be and do whatever you want to. Pay attention. See what's going on. See, and the more you can see, the more you can dream. You know what I'm saying? So that's why it's important for me to take my kids places have them around certain uh, things just to travel, right, so they could open their mind up to their other opportunities. We went and spoke at my old elementary school. And uh, to be able to talk to sixth to eighth graders about creating their own nonprofits and how they can do that and how they can walk into banks and ask, what's your community engagement plans and things like that, you know, you know, we giggle. I mean, we talk, we giggle. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. <laughs> but we we uh, we uh talked afterwards. We talked about how, you know, that may have been one of the first times ever in a Philadelphia school district that two men who own, who founded a nonprofit went in and told kids they can create that. They can mm-hmm. create a living by helping their community, positively helping their community by doing something they're passionate about. Uh, I have dyslexia, right? Uh, we talk around uh, di- uh, uh, diabetes awareness in our skits with the kids. That's something that we live with, right? That's something that's impacted us, but we're able to take with that thing and use it as a passion to, to bring awareness to, you know, right? Right. talking to a four or five-year-old is about eating better, right? exercising. Right. Hey, if you look at a book and you see words moving, don't be scared. Ask for help. Mr. B saw those words moving, and Mr. B, you know what I mean? So that's powerful. That's real powerful. I would say also, um, <clears throat> just to follow up on that, we get to introduce that. Uh, we get They get to see two positive male figures in their space, um, providing them inspiration, motivation. And we get to tell them these things, but we also get to tell them how they right. can do these things. And through our messages, you know, just through literacy and books, that's where we say, you know, you can open up a book. You want to be this? Guess what? You know, you can check it out in a book. Right. So another question we wanted to ask you guys is, in your story, you both took initiative in helping out in your communities. Um, I'm going to actually ask the floor, but do you guys feel like each person as an individual has a responsibility to help their community? And if so, why? And if not, why? Uh, I think it's a good question. I like when I think about this question. I guess I would say my I guess my philosophy developed to you responsible to give as much love as you receive, and so like uh, some people have instilled in them uh, a lot to give, and and certain people haven't, and so like how could you pour from a from an empty cup, right? You know, type thing, and so like as I grew older, I seen that you know some people really have more of a of a privilege to to understand love or to understand community service and understand understand like that I'm valuable and I have something to give while other people truly feel like you know all I it's it's hard to keep myself alive every day you know what I'm saying so how could I what what do I have to give you know what I'm saying mm-hmm. I, I feel like you have the responsibility not to hurt your community mm. and then I agree with I think what you said is it, some people may not have the ability to lead Right, that's why there's leaders, you know what I mean? Um, some people are great followers. Some people are great followers, and some people 
realized that they should just stay out the way. Like you said, I just, I got to wake up and cope, right? Yeah. So I think that if you can, you should, um, but it's your responsibility not to hurt. I believe that's all up to the individual and just their where they're at in life. You know what their experiences have been. Like Brent said, I, I don't I believe we have we should have a responsibility not to hurt or damage our community. Um but again, everybody may not have that willpower, that that leadership right. skill. However, uh, the more that those individuals who are doing uh, the services to the community, that they get to share their message, like on this platform, mm. or, you know, it's seen, that can always inspire or motivate somebody to take those actions. I feel like it is our responsibility to help the community. Like, all of what you guys said is true, and that factors into why somebody may not be able to, and I agree you shouldn't hurt the community, but... As human beings, everyone is here. Like, everyone has something that their neighbor doesn't. Mm-hmm. And to give is to receive. Even if it's the smallest thing, like we were just talking um, about compliments. You know? Right. Putting out good energy. That still helps the community. Like, at the very least, it's your responsibility to try to put your best foot forward. Even if you're waking up every day to cope, even if you're struggling, like, in some way, somehow. Like, I feel like it... You can do at least one small thing to help a community and really like one small thing can make a very, very big difference. Yeah, you know, it's true. So, well, you know, just to add to that, I, I guess uh, even w- what you're saying, you know, is, is totally true. Um, I, I believe it's 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 no one way to do it. That's true. It, it depends because somebody may may have a voice mm-hmm. where they like to share things and right. some people may find picking up the trash on the, you know, up and down the sidewalk Mm -hmm. is their way of contributing and being responsible, a responsible citizen to their community. So it could always look different. It just doesn't have to be this one cookie cutter. I agree. It also doesn't have to be publicized. Like if you know yourself that you doing something like I've personally feel like that's enough because you don't, it's it's not for show. It's not for reward. It's to help. Right. Exactly. You don't need a reward for helping. It's just a plus. Agreed. I think um, at the bare minimum, all individuals just want to be treated fairly. They want to be treated with kindness and respect. Mm -hmm. So I think if you have, I would say, the uh, sense of just giving what you want to receive, you are helping, Mm -hmm. actually. Mm -hmm. So uh, I would kind of say, yes, I believe you do have a responsibility to help the community, but you don't have to always do it on the grandest scale. You Mm -hmm. can literally help by just being a good person on a daily basis. One thing I did notice, though, is that, like, the hood be dirty all the time. All the time. You see what I'm saying? So it's like, I feel like, <laughs> no, I really noticed this. So I'm like, the reason for this dirtiness is enough people don't feel the responsibility to clean it. Right. You feel what I'm saying? But but you know what, though? Even in the hood, you'll find a block or two that's clean. That's a fact. True. That's yeah. a fact. They don't play it on that block. They, and yeah, they don't right. play on that block. And right. it could be one person sometimes who may just keep, you, you know, it's 20 houses, but one person keeps that block clean. Yeah. So... And that is a, uh, that's the beauty of, of 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 being able to see people in action, mm-hmm. right? And action is, we talking about social media and a lot of things to get caught up in what you see and hear now. But when you see action and think, when you see a person in action and taking onus of something, 
that changes things. It changes, yeah, it that changes because then it's like you that little dude on that dirty block might be like that. I see Mr. Leroy two rocks down cleaning that joint. I'm going to start cleaning my block. Or when I get my own house, I'm going to make sure it's clean. You know what I mean? And that's how helping sometimes, like you said, he ain't doing nothing but keeping his sidewalk clean. Mm -hmm. But he done taught eight other kids about self-respect, about taking care of your stuff. Mm -hmm. So help looks so different. I think when someone was saying, you were saying that help looks so different. But I, my bad. I, did I did I throw off your, your whole no, uh, no, you thought was, about you the was hood? You was yeah. you was a million. Yeah. The, the, the crazy part the, the, to go along right with you. You were saying I was at the freeway concert last night, but I wasn't actually at the freeway concert. I was okay. outside because I had to pick my man up. You see what okay, I'm saying? Okay, so, okay, okay. But when I was out there, I seen a I seen a homeless man, and he was going through the trash, mm. and he was drinking the water or drinking whatever was in the trash, like trying to find something to drink in the trash. And so I look at first, and I'm like, am I seeing what I'm seeing? And then I look again, and I confirm I'm definitely seeing what I'm seeing. And then it was the let out. So I'm seeing hundreds of people walk by, like just walk by. But where I'm parked at, like I can see this man, and I can see what's happening. And people continue to walk by, and somebody might glance and walk by. And he continuing to dig in the trash, dig in the trash, try to find a carton, something to drink, something to drink. So I say, you know what, I'm going to just – Give some water to this man. So um, as people continue to walk by, he walks over closer to where my car is. And I roll my window down, and I'm like, yo, bro. And he don't hear me. I'm like, yo, bro, he don't hear me. I'm like, I got some water for you. And he don't hear me. And he continued to walk across the street. I don't know if he didn't hear me or if he was scared to turn around or whatever the case would be. He didn't turn around. But another the car across the street heard me, heard what I said, and looked at me. And they rolled the window down. And they began to talk to the man, like, what do you need? You know what I'm saying? Do you mm. need something to drink? Do you need mm. something to eat? After all these people had walked by, as soon as I said something, now the next car over want to help. You know right. what I'm saying? Yep. And, and, that, and that remind me of what y'all was saying. Like, Yeah, yeah. And, and it's sad because a lot of times people will make up a reason why not to help. Or he's just going to go get some drugs. Or he shouldn't be out here. You know, whatever that case may be. Seeing him trying to get a drink of water, right? Mm-hmm. Even... Th- Instead of saying, how can I help? Right. Right. One of the things I've, I, I learned early on in social work was meeting people where they are. If you truly trying to help someone, you have to meet them where they are and understand, have grace with them where they are. There's no way that they're going to get anywhere if you don't meet them where they are and respect them where they are, understand where they are, and understand, all right, this is our foundation. We built from here. If you come into someone's life, beating someone down, I've learned, and my and I've helped a lot of people. So what I've learned through helping them is brace them. Mm-hmm. I understand. What's your story? Let's talk. All right, how do we move from here? Not you have to be like me, or you have to be like this, or you need what you didn't. You don't know this. You don't know that. That doesn't help people. It beats people down. It may make make some person feel like I'm superior because I'm here and I'm telling this person he needs to be like me. He needs to get to where I am instead of saying, hey, how can we help you where you are? And one thing, I, I, I work in the um, Philadelphia public school system. Okay. Uh, I'm a teacher. I'm an English teacher, actually. Oh, that's what's up. Um, that's what's up. And so meeting the kids where they're at is certainly a struggle. Uh, for example, we take a test called the benchmark and the mm-hmm. benchmark is supposed to tell you 
where your kids are at on the literacy scale. Mm-hmm. And so I'm teaching 11th grade sometime. They take, they, I'll give a, a specific example. There was a kid on the ninth, uh, in the ninth grade, I was talking to one of my coworkers, took his benchmarks, the results came back, his literacy level came back on the kindergarten level. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So I want to I wanna know how y'all at Fathers Read help meet kids where they're at, you know, on on the level when you when you go talk to them. So, and it's crazy. I, we just shared uh, some information. Baltimore, out of Baltimore school system, just came out that 77% of their high school students are on the kindergarten reading level. Wow. 77% of 23 high schools in Baltimore. Let right. me say that. Okay. Um, how do we meet them where they are? We actually do a part at the end of um, the session, and it's like our little campaign. It's called Can You Please Read With Me? And we tell the kids, once they get these book bags, right, when you get home, all right, now this is what y'all got to promise us. <laughs> Now we we don't just tell them. It's, it's a we show. act it we, out. We Mister A becomes an actor, I'm a kid. right? I'm, I'm the, the dad. Kid. Yeah, the dad. yeah. Okay. I'm selling us short. You right. You right. How it is? It's uh, Mister A. I'm like, did y'all know Mister A is an actor? And he runs out the room, and we bring him in, and he brings out the book, and he go through he goes through the books and says who gave them to him, and he says at the end, "Mom, Dad, whoever, can you please read with me?" Now. How's that meeting people where they are, right? A lot of times, 61% of kids in impoverished communities, communities where we work, don't have a home library. So if they don't have a home library, usually the culture of reading isn't there. So someone may have to say to this parent, hey, can you please read with me? And it may have to be the child because we gave them the books, but we're not going to be able to be in the house with them. That's meeting someone where they are. You may have to literally say to your mom or dad, hey, can you please read with me? Also, if they don't read with you, and we don't say because maybe they can't read, right? But we say maybe they're busy, maybe they're cooking. You can open up the book. Now, we're talking to from kids three to about six years old. They can't read all these words, right? You can read pictures, right? And I tell them, hey, I have dyslexia. When Mr. B was having trouble reading, I used to read the pictures. And I'll go over how you can read the picture. The bear's playing with the rabbit. The next page, the rabbit is running from the bear. So that's a form of how we meet kids where they are um, with Fathers Read 365. And and just to add to that, when we started in 2017, we would love for y'all to come out and see and experience what we do because it's been all improv, even from Mr. A to Mr. B. So my name is Akeef, and we're sitting there at, at our, you know, one of our first readings. And I'm like, first of all, I'm not going to have the kids call me by my first name. Right. <laughs> so, so what can they call us? And I'm just like, yo, Mr. B, you know, you know I'm Mr. A. Um, you know, it's, it's really, we've been able to create something to where we do meet the kids where they're at. And whether it's pre-K, kindergarten, first through eighth grade, or even if we have an opportunity to speak at the high school level, we cater our message to whoever whoever it is that we're speaking to so that they get it, that they can get it right where they're at. And that's very, that's one of the beautiful things that we do. That's why I said it'd be great if y'all could really come see and experience the show. Um, I think it's interesting that if you can 
plant these seeds in children early, like just to be able to see the results. Even if you're not the person that directly sees the results, mm -hmm. you can look in their lives later on and see the results that come from sowing those seeds early. Another thing that we were thinking about is like you guys mentioned, getting ahead of the eight ball instead of working on the back end. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of reoccurring negative stigmas around fathers and fatherhood in general. Mm -hmm. um, how do you guys feel like you guys challenge those net narratives? Well, we literally, our first tagline, one of the first things we ever created was changing the narrative as wow. a chat. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it was more about, so when we started, when I started my father initiative, it was literally around, when I started my, the reason why it was called Father's Day 365, because coming into social media, I, kn I know the father issues, right? I grew up with a strong father, but I know the issues around fathers especially back in the day. Um, so I wasn't blind to it, but I didn't see it spill out ugly until I got on social media. And I'm like, wow, like, it was a lot, you know, my mom is my dad yeah. and just a lot to the good dads, you know, all that craziness. And I was like, uh, one of the few times people get love about being a father is on Father's Day. And I didn't realize all this nastiness with it, but I wanted to say, I wanted to take that little bit of celebration and spread it every day because Father's Day is every day. Like you say, Valentine's Day is every day and all that good stuff. But Father's Day is every day because we're showing up every day. And it was all about showing images and showing, sharing stories of positive fatherhood. And it was just like, this is not being seen enough, right? It's going on, especially working in the schools. I never realized there were so many single dads until I started working in schools. You know what I'm saying? My best friend is a single dad. Um... And I just felt like it wasn't being shown enough. And instead of complaining about it, let's show it, right? And to this day, it's like it does have a negative impact. But I think the more that we show up and show out as fathers, we may hear that they may try to paint this narrative. But if we continue constantly changing the narrative, uh, we always say we want people to show up for education like men, men show up for education like they show up for sports, right? And – that's one of the ways that we change the narrative. But I think it is ne negative, but I think one of the only things we could do is continue to shed light on the positive and continue to work in that space to be positive fathers and men. Um, just to add to that, and I think it's, I'm glad you mentioned with your, uh, you know, your background to Father's Day 365 and why you started, and also your relationship with your father. And that's something that, you know, makes this, our relationship very unique is our upbringing. I grew up in a single parent household. At two years old, I was a, I'm a product of a full custody battle, you know, in the court system. Uh, and, and just having to live with my mother, my stepfather actually came back into our lives. That was her first husband. It was when I was around 11, 12 years old and my freshman year at Temple. So, well, let me say our relationship. He was present, but he wasn't necessarily present in my life. I never faulted him for that, you know, just his engagement. I don't, I don't know what his life was like with his father growing up. So, you know, I was just happy that I had a man that I could wake up to and maybe see down the hall, even if I wasn't saying the most polite things to him all the time, but just jokingly. And when I was 18 years old, my freshman year at Temple, on our winter break, January 6, 1998, my father took his life in our home. And that was something that I witnessed. 
And because of that, you know, there were some things I, I didn't go to therapy. I didn't see a therapist for it. Um, and, you know, having to deal with not having a relationship with my biological father like that, what you see present today is something that I've really created myself, you know, whether it be with my family, whether it be working in communities, um, just how I am with other individuals. You know, there are a lot of things I had to process um, just with the lack of not having. So when I created Father's Lead, that was for the kids, the, the at-risk youth who may have not have had a father present in their lives and to let them know that no matter what, you could do whatever you want to in this life. Um, and it's just who you associate yourself with, who are your models in your life, like who, are, who, who could you be looking up to or who could you be looking at um, just as far as a model and that anything is possible. Wow. Uh, I think it's even more phenomenal that you were able to model something that you didn't necessarily have day in and day out. I think it's it's more difficult and more complex when you don't have something to be something in, in your day, your daily life that you didn't have growing up. You didn't have access to. You didn't have a model for. So to be able to come that, I just think it's great, and I applaud you for that. And I also appreciate y'all for being y'all y'all authentic authentic self on here, yeah. and also in front of them kids. You know what I'm saying? Like a, a lot of times, people get up there and try to be who, you know, who who right. they think, whatever, whatever. Right. But you can only be what you who you are. Right. Your experiences, right. what you've seen, and they yeah. can read that from a mile away. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So like just just being comfortable in your truth enough to 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 speak it and, and to walk in it and to say that 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 you can is definitely a powerful a powerful experience. Yeah. I, I've learned the more vulnerable you are, the more you can connect. Mm -hmm. And people, especially men, we uh, put up a, a, a great facade. We put up the brick wall. But when a lot of times when I speak, I cry. Mm -hmm. right? I'm an emotional guy. I don't hold back. And I tap into things that make me emotional. Mm -hmm. I'm not afraid to cry in front of a room full of people, wipe my tears, and keep talking. You know what I'm saying? It is what it is. But when someone can see that, it may make them feel comfortable to know I ain't got to ram my fist through this wall. I could just bust a tear out, wipe it off, and keep mm -hmm. going. Yeah. And that's important for people to see, yeah. especially young men. Yeah, I, I, I agree. <laughs> you know, vulnerability is not a weakness. Mm -mm. We played at the highest level of mm -hmm. football. It's like if you only knew – how we how we used to bring it there it's it's like it, it doesn't make me weak to show my feelings mm -mm. uh it's actually very it's it's strengthening for the individual and it's strengthening for you know a power for others to say you know what you know let me let go of some let me let me share that too and and see what it brings uh you know for me in my life and we talk about stigmas one thing i noticed too is like a lot of the stigmas about fatherhood and about black men are even able to be created just because there's no black men or fathers present. So it's like, you could tell me that that they're like this or they do this or that you right. should be like this because you ain't never seen none. Right. You see what I'm saying? And yeah. I think also as a dad, how, you know, you know they, the joke is, you know, like on Father's Day, we don't get much or we don't want much. Yeah. A lot of times, a lot of dads aren't broadcasting what they do, right? Mm -hmm. For the lot of men, for a lot of times, just do what they do. They don't need no 
a lot. Of, so when I found out a lot of guys were single dads as fathers, I didn't. I usually found that out through working with them. It wasn't the. Whereas, no disrespect, a lot of times when you sit down with a mom, the first thing she'll tell you is, I'm a single mom. Mm-hmm. So it's like a lot of times men are just, they'll just take it on. Whereas we knew we had to bring light to how do we change the narrative. We have to show this, right? It may right. be a little uh, uncomfortable at times. It may feel like, because sometimes we forget, but it's like, yo, we got we to film this. We got to take pictures of this. Um, we want dads to share more. That's one of our campaigns, One Million Dads. Uh, uh, reading, um, we just want men to share images of the, in the hashtag one million dads reading of them reading with their children, um, engage in the literacy process with their children. Um, but I think it's 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 on us to show it. Another thing, when we go to these schools and daycare, they all say we have dads. The dads are here. They pick up and they drop off. How do we engage them? Well, there's not a lot of men working in educational institutes so a lot of times when these women engage men about these menly activities they looking at them like uh, yeah i'm not trying to do that however if we could get men to engage the men now it could be more buy-in at least we found that to be true right so it's like how do we actively get in game we we trying to go to the school district we trying to go to pilot we have to make a public push Right. We have to make a public push. Men are wanted in schools. They're needed. When you look at literacy, early literacy statistics, men are way better for children reading with them in early literacy than their than their mothers are. The statistics show when men engage in literacy, they have a ninety percent chance of positive outcomes in life, mm-hmm. not just in reading. You have less drug use. You have less uh, early pregnancy. You have less dropout. When men just engage 15 minutes, and that's the only thing, the other part about reading. And if you do an extra five minutes, the, the statistics go, they really skyrocket. So how do we know this? We did research on it. We're starting to spread that gospel, but we need the people to understand that when men engage, especially in early literacy, kids' world changes. I just had a quick question, kind of to go back what you were saying before. Do y'all feel like there is a shame attached to being a single father? Because like you said, a, a single mom is kind of going to let you know because she's proud of that. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's hard to take care of children by yourself, any gender. But women will let that be known, whereas men don't say it. Because men also, like y'all just do things like it's just in your nature. But do you think that there is a slight shame attached to being a single father? That's a good question. And I'll be honest with you. I don't think I'm in position to answer that. Um, I would love to. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Um, and I've never heard any of them share it that way. Um, that's a get in the comments. Right, right. <laughs> Listen, I, I think that's one of those things. I really wonder, like, you know, are you embarrassed? Are you, like, you know, just right. feeling like. I don't think I got a, a, a real means to talk about it either like a solid viewpoint, but I would just say I, I, I would believe that men don't view it as a necessary talking point. It's like, what does that serve me by mentioning this? Right. And in reference to what you guys have said about just taking things on, I think we're sometimes very task and goal orientated mm-hmm. or just, I don't even got the time to think about my situation in that sense. It's just like, 
Let's just get it done. Now, thinking on that point, I would think about, right, by me telling you I'm a single father, what does that help this meeting? How does this help anything that I'm here to meet with you about? Now, it can help, like, with services and learning that, hey, this may, if you, if any single parents, there's going to be some gaps. So just knowing that a person is doing this by themselves, that helps whoever's trying to service the situation. But I do think a lot of times it's like, when they say uh, men are more logic than emotion and stuff like that, it says, all right, I'm here for whatever we're here for. She cursed out a teacher. Let's address that. Or she's doing good in school, right? Let's address that more so than let's look at me and what's going on with me type of thing. I don't know. And there could be some shame connected to it. Like, it could be I couldn't possibly I couldn't keep the mom. Or I don't know. Or maybe I picked a quote unquote bad mom you know what I mean and I don't want I don't know that that's a good question because I never even thought about it that way um so in 2019 y'all were able to become published authors could you guys possibly I was wondering like what happened yeah. in 2019 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right so in 2019 y'all were able to become published authors uh, if you guys could, could you shed some light and maybe walk us through the process of just the development all the way to being published? Yes. Um, again, our relationship is very unique. Um, Brent and I have discovered what we're each good at, um, you know, what our strengths are. And we're both creatives. We're both creatives. It's, it's just certain duties and responsibilities when it comes to having an organization because we're not only the back office, we're the, we're the workers out in the field as well. So when it came to the books, Brent, who, you know, he goes through his talks and he shares with the kids how he used to create stories. So when Brent created, you know, he came up with the concepts for I'm Beautiful, I'm Proud, Mr. Healthy Snacks. And we also have about 10 other stories that have been created, that that have not been published, and have been sitting on them for the same amount of time. We just decided to run with those two. So what he'll do, he can have an idea. You know, he'll he'll write it out, he'll put it down on paper, and then he'll send it to me. And I I kind of I look over it, I see if there's things that could be taken out, if we could reword it, add something here, whatever. And and then we just start going back and forth through that process until we have created something that we feel as though we could run with. I remember hearing uh, Pharrell des- describe the Neptune's process. And he said he would come up with the basis of the song, the beat, and he would send it to Chad. And then that's when you heard all the, all the, you know, all that stuff. And it's just the pride. So it's funny because you might think it was a long process. <laughs> One day we literally came home. We like, yo, we should do some books. So we're like, yeah, we should do some books. And just so happened, I went home that night and I was like, I keep, I just wrote 10 books. <laughs> and he's like, what? I'm like, yo. And I sent it to him. And like he said, from that process, it was like, he started, yo, should we do this? What do we think about that? Let's change it out grammatically. This is not right. And we just went through the uh, the building process, and we shaped it up from there. And then from there, and to be honest, and this is something, yeah, it takes a little while, but if you get on Fiverr, go through, um, uh, what's that, Amazon, mm-hmm. Create Space, it's really not a hard process. Not, 
You got to, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, you got to take your steps. You got to do it. You got to go back and forth with the guy and make sure your pitch is right. Uh, uh, we argued about the book <laughs> at one point. I was on a school trip with my son. We going back and forth. But, uh, so it, it didn't look like that in the beginning. Them dudes right. was all white and look like blonde hair. Like, that's all what right. they, we got sent back. So them characters all developed. But the point was, from beginning, it was like, yo, let's do it. Boom, 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 boom. Here goes the base. And I'm going to tell you something else. Why did we do kids' books? When we was reading other kids' books, we like, yo, it's like three or four words on some of these pages. Right. We can, <laughs> we can, we can, write, we can write a kids' book. Like, book let's come up with a good little theme and making, you know what I mean? And so, honestly, this might have took all of a month mm-hmm. from, from beginning to end to actually having something to hand. Um, probably about around a month. So I also know that, like, you guys were donating books also. You, that's a part of you, your initiative. 100,000 books, bro. So to this, <laughs> from now, that's 100,000 books donated. 100,000 books free. Wow. Donated for free. Well, yeah, I guess donated is free. but <laughs> And you should yes. know how we how we started. That's what so, my next so, question So keep that do. thought. Um, we, we started because we had five programs. Fathers Read 365 <laughs> was one of them. Once that got going, once we got the response, because somebody had filmed one of our sessions and it had, you know, gone mini viral, I guess you could say, uh, we had to figure out what we were going to give to the kids outside of the message. Right. And it, we, we said, okay, if they answer three questions, let's, let's We would let's read bring, three books. We right. would bring three books and we would take them from our kids' shelves. Wow. The ones that they weren't reading or have read. So, you know... Shout out to our kids for uh, <laughs> the <donating>. first donators, <laughs> yeah, the, the first contributors to the uh, Fathers Read Fathers Read three sixty five giving libraries, and um, yeah, so it started with three, and and the thing was we would get attacked. We would get attacked because if you got, it could be six kids in the class, it could be thirty kids in some of these childcare centers. When only three get a book. You couldn't imagine what the other kids were going through emotionally. It's like, where's where's mine at? And it almost went from being this good deed to like, damn. Like, we kind of ended, because we ended on the book giving. Right, it's like, man. Like, yeah, I didn't get a book. And if we, we literally got to, we might have the three books we gave out, but we might have two or three extra on us. They would take them. Like, right. They'd be like, hold <laughs> up, did you? Yeah, yo, we got to order a new book. Yeah. <laughs> I do not like feeling left out. Right. I do not like feeling left out. Right. Yeah. Like so, left out. And, and then it went from there. So what it, and the concept of Fathers Read 365 wasn't to create this program and then go into a community and say, hey, this is what we're doing. We literally for two years did it for free. We got no money, but we did it like a full-time job. Like we did it during business hours because that's when kids are in daycares. Um, and it was to build. It was going, let's find out, all right, we want to do early literacy, but what's the best way to do it with our community and with us? Oh, wow, y'all don't have books? We go home, research. Oh, 61% of kids living in private homes don't have library. We got to start getting books. Where do we get books from? Wow. Right? Yeah. And from that to over 100,000 books given out, We've been in existence for six years. I said the hard bush, the hard book distribution push came the last three years. A hundred thousand books. I joked the other night at a world seminar. We have a, a Ultima and a, a Kia hatchback. 
and them two cars gave out a hundred thousand books in this city, uh, forty thousand during the pandemic alone to daycares when kids couldn't get to libraries. And stuff. Would y'all say that's y'all like most um, substantial accomplishment as an organization? As a person. Wow. Okay. As a pr- outside of creating my kids, um. Y'all better do good in life. I'm um, be looking like a fool. <laughs> <laughs> but no, nah, as a person, I, I mean, so here's the thing. On average, a child book is $10. So in kind, we have donated over a million dollars to this city in book donations. As two dudes who's not millionaires. And that's the power of what you can do for your community. We're not millionaires, but we donated over a million dollars in books to this city. Y'all feel like it, it it happened fast, or do you feel like you know it was? A, uh, I feel as though we're we're living in a dream right, right now. I, I don't. Yes say, and no. Yeah, because that the build in the beginning was it was slow, but now you look up and you're like, wow, we six years in, um, and we're not even close to where we want to be. But we've done again. We've given out over a hundred thousand books. We've now, that's just giving out books. That's not the personal stories we've had in these classrooms connecting with kids. That With teachers, right? We've had teachers say, I've learned more about dyslexia today than I've ever learned in my life, and I'm a reading specialist. I mean, and the out. teachers, you know, y'all PDs, uh, y'all could pay us to come out. Uh, <laughs> but, but honestly, I don't think people realize the importance of early literacy, especially reading specialists and and what it looks like in your community, when we talk about 75% of male prisoners read on a fourth grade below reading level, what are those male prisoners doing to get to prison? Right? They're, they're packing people. They're, you know, whatever that is, they're doing something negative to get there, which usually impacts someone on the other end. So when people can't read, people are in danger. Because people are now trying to survive without a me- the, the biggest means of surviving, being able to uh, comprehend uh, education and information. So so have y'all heard, if you can't read by third grade, that they build a prison cell? Have you ever heard, heard that before? That's an old... It's, I've never heard they, that before. Oh, really? So. So there's a... Th- oh, God, my bad. Yeah, so... The reason why early childhood education, early literacy is so important is because by the, by third grade, you learn how to read. Fourth grade on, you know, whatever whatever your age is from fourth on, you're reading to learn. So if you don't get it by third grade, by third grade you could be in a world of trouble. Here's something else I, I bet you you don't know. There are nobody teaching reading after third grade. That's what he's saying. You read to learn. You learn to read from zero to eight, zero to nine, wherever your third grade is. You read to learn from that point on. Now, how many things have you con- have you grasped the concept of by eight or nine years old that you can now use for the rest of your life without anyone helping you with that concept for the rest of your life? Which is why we say... Not only fathers, you know, we're father-focused, family-centered. Is why it's so important from that zero to eight-year age range 
for you to be involved with your kid in that early literacy process? Because when you learn how to read yourselves, is that something somebody took away from you? Like once you got the phonics of reading, you kind of, you kind of got it. It was just from there, it was your vocabulary and how many words you were then taking in and learning and knowing. So once you got it, you can. And here's the other thing about that zero to eight space. And one of the things Fathers Reads focus on is the self-help, right? From zero to eight, a lot of people think, I'm going to send my kids to school to learn, to read. There's a thought around that. My kids will learn to read in school. Technically, your kids will learn, will try to learn to read because they got to figure out where they are in kindergarten, these baselines, right? Half of the year is figuring out where they are. And then once you figure out you got 30 kids on 30 probably different levels, how do you teach it? But anyway, your kid basically had from kindergarten to third grade to learn how to read with teachers who may not know how to teach reading. It's almost lucky that a lot of kids pick up the con. Not almost. It is lucky that a kid pick up the concept. Now, here comes the problem. 20% of our world lives with a reading difference. Right, and that's what I was going to so what about that kid who, when he looks at, I see billboard while I'm looking at right now, everybody. But when he looks at billboards, he see B, three blocks, O-A-D. He don't even see the word billboard. And he's seeing blocks where words are supposed to be. Where do we go with that? And no one's going to teach this kid how to read or address his issues in another two to three years. Now this nine-year-old is sitting in class seeing words as blocks. He afraid to tell someone because now I look like I'm stupid. Like I, you know, I won't even say what you look like, but you know what I mean. You're embarrassed. Let me say right. that. Yeah. And you may not even be conceptualizing. Why am I looking? Why does Billboard look upside down? I had a little girl one day. I was working in Camden High. She said, "Cause I always told the kids being vulnerable, my reading situation." She said, "You know, when I read the book." Straight on, the words look funny, day, blah, 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 boom. When I turn the book like this, I could read. I said, let me see. She read perfectly. When she turned that book like that, she would. I said, well, you ain't got a reading problem. You got a book positioning problem. <laughs> and I was playing with her, and she, I like, and she was like, but I don't want people to see me with my book turned like that. I said, but, baby, if it helps you, it helps you. So with a little bit of the background on the journey thus far, um, the process of the development of the books. Uh, what was the process like obtaining funding for you guys for your initiatives? Hard. <laughs> I, I would say it's, it's still a process. Yeah. It's still something we're figuring out. Um, you know, we, we've the thing that we've been able to do is land on what we're good at, what we're focused at, which has helped with gearing our language to the funders. Because when we first started out, like Brent said, two years, no pay. Uh, if it wasn't for us being out and about and having those possibilities that we were introduced to some funders uh, from private foundations. And I would say that's the long and short of it is you got to do the work, yes. right? And you got to put yourself in front of funders. You got to put yourself out there. It's very hard for small black-led nonprofits to get in that funding space, but you got to speak up, right? You got to be uh, unabashedly you, and you have to have a good product. Um, 
with all of that, it's still going to be very hard, and you have to hire consultants. The reason why... Um, it's a language. It's, yeah, it, they want it to look a certain way. It all depends who you're presenting it to, but ultimately you want to present your, a good product. You want to have a good product and present, present it well. And I'll leave this last gem. Anyone who's trying to make, get some true funding, real fun, six, seven figures in funding... You have to have, coming out the gate, you have to have a fiscal sponsor. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be able to come be a grassroots uh, organization and get huge amount of uh, uh, funding unless it's personal, right? You're not going to be able to get that foundational money for at least three, four years of outcomes and tax returns. Mm-hmm. So if you want to get in the game and really get some real funding, you have to have a fiscal sponsor. What's a fiscal sponsor? So a fiscal spon- our fiscal sponsor is Urban Affairs Coalition. They've been around for 53 years now, um, and they handle our accounting. They handle our fiscal side, you know, all of our monetary, um, which allows us to go out and do the work. And as far as that uh, tax returns and audits and all that stuff, you know, they get to take care of that on their side and all when we say it has to look and sound a certain way all those questions that they ask <laughs> um technic just the long and short of it uac has an answer to because they've been doing it for 40 years they have all those we need your bill of this we need your 990 all that EIN and it could get caught right. up right you know what i mean that's how they get us out the game but UAC, what you need, send it over if we don't already have it on our files already and we just know to send it. So the long and short of it, they make it a lot easier for you to accept larger funds. And we did that strategically. Right. So we're trying. That's a free gym. That's heavy. That's anyone. Way more than I knew coming into this. I know it's way more than that. I never heard. (laughs) So of all of our guests, you two were – the first to drop that type of gym on us. Like, I've never heard of a fiscal sponsor. Um, right. And we we know people that have businesses. And maybe right. they do know and they didn't it slip their mind or something like that. But that is a very key point to expanding your business from just, like, you know, door-to-door and under-table mm-hmm. type stuff or just, right. you know, showing up. Yeah. yeah. I definitely think this is a space our community needs to dive deeper into. I think right. if people realize the power of nonprofits, mm-hmm. that we literally could change – whatever we want to, but definitely our communities through the power of us being the program. Mm -hmm. Wow. So, I mean, honestly, all right, we got the books, we got um, over a hundred thousand donated. We got the, the uh, 30, 30 uh, daycare centers in 30 days. We've had um, the book bus, the new book bus. bus. You guys have accomplished so much in, in hindsight, such a short amount of time. Uh, What's next for you guys? Reading is love. Reading is love is the documentary. We actually been shooting a documentary for the past five since our existence. Uh, we've been shooting a documentary. Our second reading never in that thirty for thirty. Uh, we met a young lady, Amber Monet, who's a Cannes Award winning director from Temple University. Uh, we connected with her. She loved what she what we were doing. Uh, she said, I could shoot a documentary for this amount of money. We said, sure, let's do it. We ain't have none of that money. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but she said something important. I love what you're doing, and let's let's start the work, right? We'll get the money. And 
from there we shot a um we started shooting a documentary entered it into nine film festivals right now so it's going through the film festival run before we start having premieres and trying to uh uh get netflix or amazon to buy it they will buy it um but we just got into the new jersey international film festival so out of the nine that's the first one we got into um telling that story then also getting a book bus out there more uh shout out to vanguard who uh funded the book bus uh yes that vanguard Uh, (laughs) um uh and getting a book bus out there and documentary and i would say it's two other things that are on the slate because brent and i we dream we we've thought about things we thought about that book bus six years ago it was literally one of our first meetings and then you know it just came about came came to fruition at the end of last year uh but we have two things on the on the docket and that is we're also looking at getting research done yep uh for the relationship to you know just around literacy and what is happening in the communities and why you know our young our youth or even adults in the community are are doing the things that you know we may not like to see you know, when it comes to violence or, right. uh, you know, whatever types of crimes there are. I don't I don't want to give too much there because right. so we're looking we're for some research funding. We have a partner yeah. in research. Right. <laughs> so the research and we also years ago have developed a concept for an app. Um, so that is also something that is going to be uh, that we're working on as well. Yeah. Awesome, awesome work that you guys are doing. I think instilling salubrious habits in the children early on. What was that word? Salubrious. Okay, bro. Word of the day. That's what he's known for. Yeah, it. he let that one fly off his tongue. Right. Smooth. Okay. Um, I was just going to ask you guys if you were to be speaking to someone who was on the fence about going for their dreams, fighting oh. for it, living their passion. What would you say to those people? Go, go. It's going to be scary. It's going to be times you think you made the wrong decision, but you ain't you, you have to do it, right? You never maximize your potential until you conquer your fears, and fear is the only thing holding you back from going. So run through fear and run into that better life, run into your dreams, run into what you're meant to be. Go, go. And uh, believe, believe in yourself. Mm-hmm. If you have a dream or you have a vision, as much as I've learned this over time, even in my own household with my wife, and I would share things about my dreams and visions till it got to a point where you like, I was like, oh, you know what? I'm not sharing that no more until I'm actually doing it. You know, I'm putting those words into action. And I don't have to say it verbally. I can say it to myself, but you have to believe in yourself. And you got to know what you're capable of. Mm-hmm. Um and if you if you don't, you know, just get over that fear. You know, just keep keep pushing, keep pressing into action. Last thing I let I will add to that is be flexible. What you may see as the dream may not be the dream, but you may find the dream within trying to find that discovery. Be flexible to be like, oh, okay, this is what it is. Because Father's Read wasn't it in the beginning. We had five programs running at one time. So be flat. the name has changed over time. You know what I'm saying? The mission has changed over time. Be flexible, but stay consistent. I love it. I love it. If anybody that's watching, and even us, um, 
that align with the vision that you guys have, what you guys are doing? How can we help? How can we get involved? What are our, our ways to support you guys? There's this big donate button <laughs> on fathersread365.org. And um, honestly, uh, guys, if you $10 a month, right? You give $10 a month, you can ensure that a kid could get 13 books. The and a book bag, right? You could get a you could get a kid library started for ten dollars a month. Uh, you could donate at our website. Um, also, who you know, right? Maybe you know someone who uh, uh, works at funding agencies. Maybe you know someone who has a big check to cut, right? Maybe you know someone who's at the, some school districts, or right? We we want to, This is a it started in Philly. We want to go throughout the world. So it's like um, any way you could possibly say, hey. Oh, I could do this for Fathers Read 365. They need funding. Oh, they need I, I was connection. Say, <laughs> I would say funding. Um, we're not we're not in the business of necessarily collecting books. We mm -hmm. distribute books. Right. Um, but also if you could get us in front of fathers or yeah. father figures, if you could get us in front of some men from the community to where we could share our message and just how they could get more involved in that early childhood education process, that would be great. Uh, where can they find you guys on social media if they want to follow you guys or follow the Fathers Read 365 on everything. Yes. Got it. Yeah. Instagram, Twitter, uh, what is it? YouTube, all of them, all of them, <laughs> TikTok, yeah. all of them. Fathers yeah. Read three sixty five. Oh, well, again, we appreciate you guys for just taking the time to come sit down with us, shed, shed some light on what you guys are going Thank on. Thank you for having. Um, amazing work that you guys are doing. I'm just just happy to be able to shed some light on the journey. That oh you guys man, have had. yes. Uh, Thank thanks for having us here. A lot of people don't see the importance of it, right? A lot of people don't see, you know, what I mean. So having us here, we get to spread the gospel sure you guys learned some stuff today your yeah, audience absolutely. probably learned some stuff so we love being here bro definitely definitely yes all right well that's been another one y'all be sure to follow the studio shouts out to them for always producing our podcast studio 524 um y'all can follow us on the winner's culture or on instagram and then also over at tiktok Make sure you send this to your mom, grandma, your aunt. Oh. Send it to everybody, all right? Mama! <laughs> Until next time, y'all, we out. <laughs> <laughs>